0: Chapters 9 and 10 of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9. But life is sweet and mortally blind, and youth is hopeful, and fate is kind in concealing the day of sorrow. And enough is the present tense of toil, for this world is to all a stiffish soil, and the mind flies back with a glad recoil from the debts not due till to morrow returning spring the earliest chirp of blackbirds in the squares the carol of a wandering lark that has strayed as far from dewy cornfields as st john's wood a basket of primroses bald in the dusty street will awaken in most bosoms a sudden yearning for the country london is all very well be the square grosvenor or fitzroy while we can draw our curtains and light our gas and call it luxury london looming through the fog with street lamps gleaming redly has a sort of gloomy picturesqueness like that underworld through which virgil cicerone's dante but london when skies are blue and the hawthorns abloom in twickenham meadows be it ever so dear to the darlings of fashion is apt to pall upon that less favoured race which hath no fellowship with the children of belgravia to whom the crowd in hyde park at sundown is but a gallery of pictures thus perhaps arose in flora chamney's breast a new desire for fairer scenes than are to be found within the four-mile radius a dinner at richmond to which dr ollivant and mr leyburne were both invited served to sharpen this hunger rather than to appease it it's so nice of you to bring us down here papa darling she said in her fond way as they sauntered along the walk that leads to thompson's favourite seat and earl russell's rustic cottage while the marmitons of the star and garter stewed eels and larded sweetbreads for their delectation but it only makes me long all the more for the real country this path and that landscape are ever so beautiful but i think i can feel london in the air my eyes are not so sharp as henry the eighth's when he stood on that little knoll yonder and watched from the hoisting of the standard that was to tell him poor dear anne boleyn's head was cut off that's historical fact isn't it dr ollivant i remember reading it at miss mayduke's but my sense of smell seems to tell me london is very near i should think if you smelt anything it would be the dinner's cooking at the star and garter said dr ollivant come now papa when are we going to go to the real country i suppose that means brighton or scarborough said the doctor it means nothing of the kind it means some wild lonely place where papa and i could wander about as we pleased dressed anyhow and where i should never feel ashamed of that old panama hat papa was so fond of wearing last summer a place where our friends could come to see us if they pleased and where there would be the sea and boats and where i could sketch from nature all day long if i liked there must be ever so many such places at home and abroad abroad would be best for i do so long to see some strange new world where the common people look like peasants on the stage and where there is a background of blue mountains and vineyards and broad winding river such as one sees in a drop scene now dear dr ollivant please take my part you know you told papa travelling would be good for him did i asked the doctor absently i forget do you really how strange why it was your own suggestion one evening in wimpole street the very first evening we ever spent there i may have said so but travelling on the continent is hardly the kind of thing i should recommend to your father just now he wants repose the grave professional look travelled slowly to the figure beside him an english watering-place might be beneficial if you like the idea i like any idea that my little girl likes said mark chamney if she has set her heart on the continent we'll go on the continent no no papa cried flora hurriedly and with a sudden subdued look in her face as of one to whose mind some grave sad question had newly presented itself no we will only go where it is best for you advise us dr ollivant would it be best to stay at home would the fatigue of a journey hurt papa i believe not indeed i think change of air and scene would be good for him then i will go anywhere you please papa said the girl more fondly than ever with anxious eyes lifted sadly to her father's face and one little hand clinging to his arm a pretty picture of purest womanhood and grace more sweet than beauty yet one that escaped the painter's errant gaze he was looking across the landscape dreamily into the dim blue distance beyond the winding river in that case we'll go to Branscombe. it's the only english watering-place i know or care about you must remember Branscombe, ollivant the place we used to go to when we were boys i have a faint recollection of spending a day there once and of universal dreariness dreariness with the sea at your feet why man there is an everlasting beauty in that which is independent of all the petty prettiness of the land Set me face to face with the sea, and I don't care what barren rock or parched and sandy waste you give me to stand upon. But if Branscombe is rather a dull, out of the way place, the country round is beautiful. I doted upon Branscombe when I was a boy. Perhaps the happiest hours of my life were the long sunny days I spent lying on the beach or shying pebbles at the seagulls. Pray let us go to Branscombe, Papa. I shall love to see the place you were so fond of cried flora brightening with her father's eagerness he could hardly be so very ill as she had feared just now from that strange grave look of the doctor's for he spoke as if there were still pleasures worth living for as if the warmth and gladness of life were still aglow in his breast you'll come to see us at Branscombe, won't you mr leyburne she said in a gayer tone to the painter i don't think you'd be deterred by a long journey she thought that in those handsome cabs of his the sound of whose swift wheels and banging of whose door so often startled her he must every week travel the distance between london and edinburgh i beg your pardon said walter newly awakened from his reverie who's Branscombe? everything had to be explained to him he had evidently heard nothing of the conversation for the last quarter of an hour you must come to see us in devonshire and teach me to paint the sea i shall be sketching nearly all day long he would be delighted of course not that the sea was in his line but he would give her such help as he could directly he had finished a picture he had in hand this was early in may mr chamney and his daughter had not yet been to the royal academy i thought your important picture was to be finished and sent in last month said flora no i did think of sending it in this year but i have been lazy the picture is only half finished "'I didn't want a scampet, you see, and I couldn't get a model I liked for one of my figures.' "'I'm so sorry. I was looking forward to seeing your picture at the exhibition. "'Then there is nothing of yours, I suppose?' she concluded regretfully. "'Yes. I sent a trifle by way of an experiment, and for a wonder it was accepted. Skied, of course, but it is something to get in. "'Oh, please, tell me all about it.' "'There is little to tell. It is only a single figure.' You might go through the rooms half a dozen times without noticing it. "'I couldn't,' said Flora naively. "'I should know your style, but do tell me the subject.' "'I call it Esmeralda, Victor Hugo's heroine, you know. A solitary figure crouching against the dark wall of a medieval prison. A pale, despairing face looking out of dense shadow.' "'It must be grand,' said Flora, enraptured. "'Only to the friendliest eyes.' One of the weekly papers said my flesh tints suggested putty and my shadows were a reminiscence of pea soup. Wretch, cried Flora, envy, of course. Why do they allow disappointed painters to turn critics? It isn't fair, is it? Though, for that matter, I should like to walk into some of the exhibitors myself. Everything was decided by and by after dinner. They dined in the old coffee-room of the old Star and Garter, which most of us remember so well and in which so many of us have dined in days that are gone and with friends that are dead they dined in the broad bay window overlooking that fair valley through which thames winds his silver ribbon now making a gentle bend around the classic groves of ham now dividing his watery arms to embrace the willow wooded islet in this old window they sat while the twilight deepened planning the branscome expedition mark chamney full of talk flora animated and happy dr ollivant more cheerful than usual only the painter thoughtful leaning across his folded arms with those dreamy eyes of his fixed on the fading landscape flora stole a glance at him now and then and wondered at his unwonted silence but then she reasoned it is in the nature of artists to be thoughtful when face to face with nature even that familiar landscape which every cockney knows by heart but which of its kind is matchless might mean inspiration for him i think i'll come with you said the doctor if you've no objection I haven't had a holiday since I came from the continent, except to run across the channel to hear a lecture, or see an experiment now and then in Paris, and you can hardly call that recreation. I shouldn't wonder if I want a little of that complete repose I am always recommending to my patients. Oh, do come, Dr. Ollivant, exclaimed Flora, delighted. I never thought of asking you, knowing how precious your time is. But it would be so nice to feel you were taking care of Papa. Not that he really needs much care except mine, I hope with an anxious half-appealing look as much as to say for pity's sake tell me that all is well no baby i couldn't have a tenderer nurse than you answered the father drawing the slight figure nearer to him in the friendly twilight and so long as i live your care shall make me happy only remember darling the best-made machinery will wear out sooner or later and perhaps some of the strongest may break down all at once like that wonderful one-horse chaise we were reading about the other night papa papa with a burst of tears how can you speak lightly of what would break my heart why baby as if i were an oracle and knew all the ins and outs of destiny come flo cheer up and let us talk about branscome i'll telegraph to a house agent at long sutton to-morrow morning and tell him to go over and find us lodgings or a house and we'll go down the next day you'll go with us won't you walter my little girl must have gayer society than two old fogies like all of aunt and me the doctor laughed that low but somewhat bitter laugh of his so subdued as hardly to have offended lord chesterfield one of the penalties which science inflicts on her votaries said he to be set down as an old fogey at eight and thirty you are very kind answered walter coming suddenly to life again as if out of a mesmeric trance but i don't think i could leave london at so short a notice even for the pleasure of accompanying you and miss chamney and i need hardly say what a temptation that is i've so much work in hand pshaw exclaimed chamney as if a young fellow in your position need care about work it's foolish perhaps but i've set my heart on making some shred of reputation if you'll allow me to follow you in a week or so i shall be very glad as you please said mr chamney piqued and so the matter ended it seemed strange to flora that there should be any hitch in her programme she had been accustomed to find the painter a willing slave not that she had tried him by any means severely for the ways and works of coquetry were unknown to her simple soul but until lately he had hung upon her words as if they were of supreme importance to him and had been studiously attentive to her slightest wishes of late within the last few weeks at least there had been a change too subtle for her to understand far too indefinite for her to complain of even in her own thoughts but just sufficient to steal a little of life's sunshine from that lot which had seemed to her so perfect in its full measure of happiness i thought i was almost the happiest creature in the world she said to herself but then i counted him as part of my happiness if we should have been mistaken after all papa and i and he doesn't care for me never did care for me any more than for any other girl in whose father's house he might like to spend his evenings the mere suggestion was appalling how foolish she had been to think of him as she had thought to reckon his love in the sum total of her happiness it was her father's fault no doubt or the effect of that pleasant easy-going friendship between these two young people drawing lessons delicious dabblings with the brightest colours rathbone plays could furnish duet singing voices blending in dulcet harmonies a similarity of tastes that seemed to mark them as those twin-born beings parted in some antenatal phase of existence, and only perfect when reunited. She had taken it for granted, ever so long ago, that he loved her, and that the shred of reputation he talked of with such proud humility was to be a crown of wild olive laid at her feet yet chilled by this indescribable change in him and brought face to face with stern reality what foundation had she for the fabric of her dream palace those thrilling smiles and looks of his words and whispers that had sunk into her inmost heart the fond clasp of his hand at parting the lingering talk on the half-lighted staircase when he was going away these might mean nothing after all might only be the small change current in that society of which she knew so little mere counters made for show and worthless as withered leaves if he doesn't come to Branscombe, i shall know he doesn't care for me thought flora as they drove back to london in the clear spring night they had not gone far before the painter threw off his thoughtfulness like a garment and began to talk with his accustomed gaiety. he was indeed gayer than usual with a vivacity that bordered on boisterousness and flora's doubts and fears vanished like snowflakes in the river chapter Ten, you do me wrong to take me out of the grave thou art a soul in bliss but i am bound upon a wheel of fire it was not quite ten o'clock when he arrived in fitzroy square so mr chamney insisted upon taking both his friends up to the drawing-room for the dock and Doric or parting cup which in this instance took the shape of brandy and seltzer he was tired and flung himself at full length on a capacious old sofa but was not too tired to ask for one of his favourite songs give us the land of the lille flo he said and flora went to the piano obediently and began those pathetic words of caroline Nairn's. but halfway in the second verse she broke down suddenly and burst into tears walter was by her side in a moment bending over her tenderly asking if she were ill or tired her father looked round wonderingly why baby what's the matter she took no notice of the painter's solicitude but left the piano and knelt down by her father's sofa and put her arms round his neck forgive me for being so foolish darling she said in lowest tones meant for his ear alone but i can't bear any song that speaks of parting you won't leave me will you dear you'll take care of yourself and get strong and well and never leave me he took her to his heart and kissed her fondly may god be merciful to us my dearest and lengthen our days together he said gently i will do nothing to shorten them and now go upstairs dear you're tired and a little out of spirits yet you were so gay coming home from richmond yes papa i forget sometimes but that song put a sudden fear into my heart very foolish wasn't it a song about a poor old man who was between seventy and eighty i dare say as if that had anything to do with you who are in the prime of life it was very foolish baby and you fairly earned your pet name now wish our friends good-night and go upstairs to bed dear i'm sure you're tired the two gentlemen who had been discreetly preoccupied during this little dialogue one in looking at the slumbering canaries the other turning over the leaves of a music-book now emerged from their abstraction and bade flora good-night each after his own peculiar fashion mr leyburne with a lingering tenderness which had yet something doubtful and undecided about it as if he could hardly trust the blind impulse of his heart the doctor with thoughtful gravity detaining the little hand for a moment while he put his finger on the slender wrist a shade too quick he said but a night's rest will set you up again change of air will be very good for you as well as for papa the doctor left immediately and walter went out with him the square would have been empty of human life but for one solitary figure standing by the railings looking up at mr chamney's house dr ollivant stopped to look across the road at this lonely wayfarer curious he said she looks as if she were watching chamney's house she moved away as he spoke and walked towards the other side of the square one more unfortunate i suppose said the doctor with a sigh but she really did seem to be watching the house when we came out didn't she upon my word i didn't see her answered walter hurriedly then you must have been looking up at the stars for she was standing exactly opposite good night good night they were at the door of mr leyburne's abode by this time and here parted with no remarkable warmth of feeling walter put his latch-key in the lock but lingered a little over the operation long enough to allow the doctor's upright figure to vanish from the square and then put the key back into his pocket and hurried off in the direction taken by the girl. She had not left the square. He found her standing by the railings on the other side, her face almost hidden by a thick black veil tied tightly across it. He knew her, however, in spite of this disguise. "'Lou!' he exclaimed. "'What are you doing here, child?' "'I don't know. Nothing. I was miserable at home, so I came out for a walk.' One may as well be miserable out of doors as in that stuffy room with Grandma. I knew very well where you'd be, so I went to look up at the windows, for company. Poor Lou, with infinite compassion. Why, the books I lent you would have been better company than that. Yes, if I could only read them, but I can't, at least not till Grandma's gone to bed. It's a crime to open a book in her opinion. I sit up till three in the morning sometimes reading, though, I think I know the bride of Abidus by heart, but even then I get bullied about the candle being burnt out. I wouldn't say bullied, Lou. It's out of harmony with feminine lips. Pitched into, then. Worse and worse. Isn't it just as easy to say scolded? I dare say it is, but it does me more good to say bullied. I do get bullied, nagged at, and bullied from morning till night. Is it my fault if things are dearer than they used to be and taxes higher? I'm sure I'm treated as if it was. The old leaven would show itself sometimes in this poor Louisa, despite of the refining influence which had wrought so swift a change. Her mood to-night was not the softest. She knew that she was sinking back into the old lowness for which she had hated herself and her surroundings even to loathing. But there was a sullen anger in her heart just now which made her indifferent to her own degradation. What did these small distinctions of language signify? She could never be a lady in the good old days of the slave trade it mattered very little to one of that subject race which shade of blackness his visage wore there were no degrees of bondage under that hateful law every colour counted as black so with louisa's slavery to the bondmaster poverty of what use were her dim aspirations for refinement when she knew herself without the pale what's the good of telling me not to use vulgar words she asked sullenly "'I should never be like her,' with a jerk of her head in the direction of Mr. Chamney's abode. "'You might be a very superior young woman for all that,' replied the painter, not disputing her proposition. "'You've brains enough for anything. Come, Lou, I'll tell you a secret. We'd better walk towards Boise Street, though. It doesn't look well standing about here.' "'As if looks mattered for such as me.' "'Your favourite Byron would have said such as I.' "'Am understood.' "'I don't know what's amiss with you tonight, Lou. "'You're not like yourself.' "'Yes, I am. "'More like myself than I've been for a long time. "'I've been trying hard to be like someone else. "'Not her,' with another joke, "'for of course that's impossible. "'Such as me. "'I can't be like perfection. "'You might as soon wash negroes white. "'Real negroes, not Christie's. "'I did try to grow a little better, though, "'but tonight I had a fit of unhappiness.' or wickedness i don't know which for in me they seem almost the same thing and i came out of doors to get out of myself if i could poor Lou," murmured walter in the same compassionate tone as gently as if he had been trying to comfort a fretful child poor foolish impatient Lou! come now it's time i told you my grand secret that you're going to be married soon i suppose she said there are women who in such moods as this woman was now in take a savage pleasure in saying things that hurt them nothing of the kind i well to tell you the truth i've been a little unsettled in my ideas of matrimony lately yet flora is the sweetest girl in the world to deny that would be a kind of treason only you see a man has to discover whether a particular kind of sweetness suits his particular temper and to be very sure that the honey never could cloy some men even like their honey with a dash of vinegar in it In short, I have a disagreeable knack of not knowing my own mind. All this was said with as much freedom and frankness as if he had been talking to a young man instead of to a young woman. "'What is your grand secret, then, if it isn't that?' asked Lou, still in a sullen tone. "'Why, it's about you, my dear Louisa. Ever so long ago, very soon after I began the Lamia, I determined to make you some little recompense for your kindness in sitting to me.' "'My kindness?' echoed the girl scornfully as if it wasn't pleasanter to me to sit and hear poetry than to scrub floors or run errands i'm glad it wasn't unpleasant but still it was a kindness to me all the same i made up my mind i'd do something and when i found out what a clever girl you are i said to myself the something shall take the form of education if the picture succeeds it was a fancy of mine to make it contingent on the success of the picture i'll send lou to the best boarding-school i can find for three years at the end of which time she'll be a well-educated young lady and able to get her own living in a ladylike manner young women are not at a discount as they used to be there are telegraph offices and houses of business and goodness knows what open to the weaker sex nowadays well the picture hasn't succeeded yet in fact it has not been sent in but the esmeralda for which you sat is the first picture i've ever had hung and it's been well spoken of in half a dozen newspapers "'So you see you've been lucky to me after all, Lou?' "'I'm glad of that,' she said in a softer tone. "'Therefore, as delays are dangerous, "'I've resolved to finish the pictures you're sitting for as fast as I can "'and make immediate arrangements for sending you to school.' "'To his surprise and consternation, the girl shook her head resolutely. "'I won't go to school,' she said. "'It's very good of you to think of it, and I'm grateful. "'But I don't want schooling.' you couldn't school me into a lady and as for being a governess i couldn't sit quiet to teach children grammar and geography if it was my only chance of escaping starvation i'm pretty quick at figures and i could learn anything i should want to know for a house of business in a quarter's evening school at mr primrose's in cave square i think though i'd rather emigrate when you've done your pictures i had an aunt that went to australia and i've sometimes thought of getting away from voysey street and grandma's worrying by going off like her walter leyburne shuddered here was a strong-minded young woman for whom he could do nothing a young woman who could calmly contemplate a solitary voyage to the antipodes i can't tell you how you've disappointed me he said do think it over quietly and try to see the question in a different light consider all the advantages of education what could it do for me except raise me above my station asked lou moodily and make me hate voysey street just a shade more than i do now it wouldn't give me a new father not but what i'm fond of him as he is or a new grandmother it wouldn't make me more on a level with your perfect young lady in fitzroy square how you harp upon her child why education would raise you to her level it is only education that constitutes her present superiority her sweetness is the sweetness of a refined nature which has never been degraded by vulgar associations But my nature has been so degraded, replied Lou too quickly. You couldn't wash the vulgarity out. Laying English grammar and French and music and drawing and the use of the globes over the degradation wouldn't be much use. It would be like fathers varnishing a bad picture. The picture may look a little better, but the bad drawing and the false color are there all the same. You talk like a philosopher, said the painter, somewhat offended that his benevolent instincts should be thus thwarted and i bow to your superior judgment i will say no more now you're angry with me cried louisa quick to hear the change in his tone but indeed i'm not ungrateful i should be so if i let you waste your money in trying to do something that can't be done as for education she went on with a sardonic laugh rely upon it that's a luxury thrown away upon people of our class i can just read and write and cast up a bill for grandma and hold my own against the milkman when he wants us to pay for a half ports we haven't had. That's enough for me. I don't suppose I could be fonder of Shakespeare and Byron than I am, if I'd had ever so good an education. Perhaps not, but you'd have a more critical appreciation of both. That means I should find out their faults. Then I don't want to be critical. What a tiresome obstinate girl you are. Oh, you can't lift me out of the mire. I was born in it you've changed my life for a little time and brightened it but when the pictures are done good-bye to the brightness you'll have done with me done with you now lou is it kind to talk like that when i want to be your true and loyal friend as true to you as if we had been born brother and sister the misfortune is that the abominable laws of society made of course to restrain miscreants give so narrow a scope for friendship between a man of my age and a girl of yours if you won't let me send you to school i don't know that there's a single thing i can do for you to prove my friendship i give you my honour i was thinking about this very subject at richmond this afternoon at richmond exclaimed Lou, you had been to richmond with them then i saw you all get out of the carriage foolish girl to waste your time watching other people richmond that's a pretty place isn't it Rather, replied the young lord of the universe secure in the possession of an income that would allow him to range the world from one garden of enchantment to another and not disposed to be rapturous about a london suburb yes it's a niceish place haven't you been there i've never been anywhere except to hampstead heath once and to the forest what forest epping are there any other forests any other forests poor child to think that this world is so beautiful and you have hardly seen anything outside voysey street let the usages of society go hang i'm not a ruffian and i won't be fettered by them do you think your grandmother would let me take you for a day in the country Lou? i could get a dog cart from the livery stables and i'd drive you down to some nice little village by the thames shepperton or haliford or some such place i'd ask the old lady to go with us only i'm afraid she'd be rather a damper she would said Lou candidly she always is a damper do you think she'd let us go i don't know perhaps if you asked her she might then i'll propose it to her to-morrow after we've had a snack of some kind and a bottle or two of edinburgh would you like to see the Hawthorne hedges and the river and the reedy little islands eh Lou? would i like what have i ever seen of the country or of anything that's bright and pretty it would seem like being in heaven i always think the great beauty of heaven must be that it isn't like voysey street they were in the much-abused voysey street by this time and encountered two or three slipshod specimens of the genus girl fetching supper beer. the chandler's shop was only just shutting it was the noon of night at the shellfish merchant's they parted at the door of the ladies' wardrobe walter pledging himself to obtain mrs gurner's permission for that holiday beside the winding thames "'You haven't any idea how jolly the river is when you get high up towards Windsor above the locks,' he said, and bade Lou a kindly good-night. The promised pleasure had restored her spirits. Her eyes, those dark, inscrutable eyes, had brightened. Her whole aspect improved. Yet at the last she flung a random shot. "'What will Miss Chamney say if you take me out?' she said. "'It cannot make the slightest difference to Miss Chamney,' he answered stiffly. "'Good-night.' the lifted hat that dignified farewell sent a chill to lou's impatient heart what's the good of my wearing myself into a fever about him she said to herself as she went through the dark little shop into the airless parlour with a tolerable certainty of being nagged at for her untimely absence what am i to him or he to me there's nothing in nature farther apart his kindness to me is only charity i almost hate him for it Yet she did not hate the idea of that day in the country, but yearned for it with a longing that was akin to pain. To be with him for a whole day, away from all the sights and sounds of Voysey Street, from the dirty room reeking with stale tobacco, the slatternly grandmother in her greasy black silk gown, the sordid misery of her daily life, to escape from these things but for a few hours, and to be with him. Was it any wonder that she sickened at the thought of disappointment? End of chapters 9 and 10